tossed me one, dude. Oh god, I almost got it. Straight to face. I got it on the on the second catch. Wherever you put your focus, there shall be success. That's a Jared Truby quote. Sounds true. Is that actually a Jared Truby? Oh, it just says so on the I top. I mean, apparently, that's true. I mean, I agree. It says so right there. <laughs> it says so on the card. When there's a problem in the cafe, what does taking ownership of it look like? Part one. Part two. How can you teach every member on the team to think like an owner? Part three, how do you avoid the not my problem mentality? Oh, those are interesting questions. Those are hard questions. Those are, those are, work, those are real work questions. Those are cultural questions. Well, where do you want to get started? Not my problem mentality is pretty much how America works, so... You're kind of working against the grain there to start, in my opinion. Uh, that one's not simple, but in the most simple answer, if you could start and never, never, never devolve, you could start with a place that looked and felt that way by, by way of teaching, training, culture. Um, you have to be the kind of leaders who think ahead and make plans, and I would argue we'd have done a good job in terms of values, a mission, a generalized structure. Uh, but the not my problem mentality only lives and dies by the people taking action and never, never saying that, never allowing excuses to come into play. Like, I don't know how, or I cannot because like, there's always a solution to every single problem. And if you don't have the answer, somebody somewhere in your organization does. So the not my problem mentality, I guess, goes all the way back every single time to the individual recognizing that the work they do is really important as long as people in the, in the organization will respond. Meaning, you know, as, as long as they don't ignore somebody saying, I need help with this and you just kind of like let them be this could be a positively cyclical relationship all the time. I think a lot of it comes down to how we see our work. Something right. Seth Godin said that I really liked was, quite naturally, if something is art, we figure out how to do more of it. If something is work, we figure out how to do less of it. Right. So how are we connecting what we're doing on the day-to-day -day and understanding that it that it matters and and part of that is so there's there's multiple prongs or multiple avenues of responsibility i think as owners what we're responsible for is kind of laying that foundation and painting that picture of if we come here show up and do this work day after day why does that matter like what impact does our work have Right. And someone who's young or just entering the workforce or is just kind of toying with this idea of of work, like might not be able to put that together yet or might not understand because a huge portion of our culture isn't really geared to see work like that. It's geared to sure. see work as something that you have to do because you have to pay rent and then whatever job you get, it's just the job that you're stuck with until someday maybe you'll get your dream job that that's something that just magically happens. So totally. the idea that there's all these cool opportunities and that the, you can have a really big impact even at an entry level job isn't something that's widely spread. So that's 
we need to communicate those stories top and down absolutely top down and then that needs to be met with responsibility from the employees and part has of, an expectation right uh, well part of it is part of it's cultural but then sure. part of it is people wanting to do the thing that's on offer you know people embracing the work that they have to do and yeah. and not not just trying to avoid doing things that are hard just because they're hard but embracing doing things that are hard because they deeply matter and you know we talk about that all the time so maybe we're a broken record in in that aspect but it's when you come face to face with hundreds of people a day in the coffee shop and you have the opportunity to improve their day by maybe being the only person that listens to them on a given day maybe being something as simple as remembering their order and remembering their name or remembering right. the story that you told them those things matter because those are the those are the interactions that shape our life much more than you know going on vacation once a year or taking a week off here and there it's yeah. like the, you, the things that you do every day matter a lot so if you understand that then you just basically have to embrace that like cool I'm going I'm going the extra mile. I want it to be my problem. Because I know how much my work matters, I actually don't even see it as a problem. It's just an opportunity. Like there aren't any really there's there's no problems. There's just things that could be better and sometimes things that need to be fixed. Right. What do you think <clears throat> like what happens or maybe what advice could we give when you know the loudest the loudest voices oftentimes are heard outside of the workplace, right? Like what happens and what might we be able to do is if we're the people as call it you, myself and Charles, if we we're going to start this business, right? Mm. We're saying a thing we're dying on our horse because it's true and we believe in it. And we actually have seen based on our entire careers that the things that we talk about are a hundred percent true. How do we, how do we find ways to communicate that, you know, one to at this point, a group of 70 plus people, but for anybody else listening, like what if we're the only voices saying that and everywhere else you look in the world, which I'm experiencing, right. Is to your point, how do we make, how do we spend the least amount of time because of whatever efficiency tools or blah, blah, so on and so forth doing this thing, right? Like this thing is the least important. You got to be focusing on your quote unquote, your side hustle or your, whatever it is like that's our world is kind of efficiency culture right now it's not necessarily leaning into what makes life beautiful which is everything is actually the art right hospitality could be the art the craft of coffee could be the art putting them together could be an art even just trying to figure that out yourself you know etc cetera, etc cetera, right mm -hmm. what if for those business owners and just leaders everywhere who are so hungry for this but find themselves you know, at times discouraged or at times frustrated because their voice is loud while they're around, but then, you know, the rest of the world is kind of giving a different message. You feel like you're 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 spinning your wheels sometimes. What might we what might we say to that? Well, you can't convince anybody right of anything. So I think the biggest thing that you can do, which most people probably don't have, is really really clarify your vision, really clarify what you're trying to do and really clarify those things. Right. And most people think they have them clarified and in 
my experience, most businesses don't have a crystal clear vision. They don't have a really good idea of what it means to show up and do the work, what impact that has to make. So let's say you've got that down. Then the second thing is what we just talked about. You need to find people who want to go with you because there's no way you're going to convince someone that the thing that you're doing is the right thing to do. It's like people have a million different stories that they're telling themselves. And to change someone's story, to change someone's fundamental being, Mm. it's it's almost impossible. They have to decide for themselves that that's something they want to do. And then you go slow and steady where, cool, I have a group of maybe only four people believe what I believe. I'm starting this thing and I got four people who are really, really down. And instead of spending my time trying to convince all the naysayers, I'm going to pour all of my energy into these four people who are already wanting to go on the journey. Uh And then over time, just tiny little things. They're going to tell someone, they're going to tell someone, they're going to tell someone. And that's how you build a community or a culture that's really connected to its core. Now it's frustrating to do that because it takes a long time. There's zero instant gratification and it sometimes can feel, I don't know. Well, it can feel like nobody's listening to you one, or it's like, man, I have this really good message and only four people give a shit. And it's like, well, that's awesome that four people give a shit. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's not nothing. That's something, you know, Mm -hmm. think about one of the things that's really interesting that I think is, seems to be lost in the culture is the power of the individual. Think think of yourself. You are only one person. Yeah. But when you find something that you deeply resonate with or find something that changes your world, like it makes a it makes a big difference. You know, yeah. it makes a big difference to you and the other people in your lives. So, so like the fact that you're only impacting four people is like you might be thinking about that wrong. I totally um, agree there. But that's kind of how, you know, we've talked about in our meetings it's like the law of diffusion and innovation or the uh, adopters curve to where it's like everything starts with neophiliacs everything Mm -hmm. starts with early adopters Mm -hmm. like these even these things that end up being big massive trends over time don't start with everybody getting on board in the front because people like status quo like right and not because they're lame or they're lazy but it's it's safe you know (laughs) i mean it is safe i i hear that i think there's something too that people can forget about and that's we're all attracted to those individuals who have that really exciting passionate positive energy where they're and you can't argue that when people are doing something that they believe in and they're excited about it that 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 energy isn't palpable you can feel it when you're around them so there is something to be said about remembering the power of the individual and that that I do want to say is going to ebb and flow because human beings can't just like operate on a thousand percent crushing it with their own, even, even the shit they love all the time. Like it just is the facts, right? Like there's going to come a point where work will feel like work, but it's, it's important. I think what you said there is, it's really wise to remember that as an individual to be able to tie yourself back into portions of the work that really spark you again so that you can continue to, to offer that up and help people to remember like, Hey, you know, I also have this ability because that's, I think, part of leadership is being able to show people that you can, you know, your energy can feed them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing that you did say is reminds me of this, like if you were to operationalize it a little bit, right? There's, you do have those four people who believe what you believe. There's a potential opportunity, I think, to structure the way you interview 
the way you hire, the way you structure, you know, the whole onboarding process to support this idea as well. And I would say, you know, and, and I think we actually have opportunity here again to kind of circle back and like really hone in on this as we redevelop coming out of COVID. But this idea of values and motivational based interviewing, not, not the kind of interviewing where you expect everybody to already know what your business is about and you start turning them away because they don't un, like, they don't have your mission memorized already. They don't have your values. They don't come in and be like, yeah, I see you doing all this stuff that like we're supposed to train them to do. You know, that's, that's not it. It's coming to find people who speak to the things that we do and what we need people to do at a high level, right? Speaking to, to hospitality, speaking to people engagement, speaking to uh, working in some capacity, like efficiently. There, there's just an, a lot of opportunity there. I mean, taking initiative, doing things. There's so many questions you could ask that have very little specifically to do with the work we do behind the counter that can really inform the kind of employee team member you might find. And I think we spend far too little time thinking about those questions and we bring on people that we end up thinking are really cool or like maybe even are highly or well-known in the community, but don't like to do the work we do. And that that's, um, I, I was thinking of those two things, right? I was thinking a lot about the, the energy that we're able to give and get, but there's also a way to begin from, you know, prior to anybody stepping foot on your floor by finding the kind of people that maybe will resonate most with what you're trying to do. Right. That's the plight in our coffee industry, you know, the plight of the coffee superstar. The mm -hmm. idea that, well, since you run a coffee shop, you probably want to get the quote unquote best, most well known, famous baristas working in it. And it's like, well, not really. Not really. Maybe not. It, you, like, exactly what you said is right. You know, we're going to teach them how to do everything they need to do. We need to find people who believe in the spirit of what we do. Yeah. They don't have to know anything about coffee. Exactly. They don't have to have any experience behind the counter at all. I'm watching as potentially. Is there a construction coming in? I don't in? know. It might happen. Blasted. We, I think they're coming in. They have their chips. They feel like they're ready. But oh, we can keep going until no, they start cracking. Dude, he's got a Motucky, a Montucky cold snack sweatshirt. Those it, are nice. Dude, he's about to be That's refreshed. okay. We, we just keep going until they start making noise if we can. And well, if not, we're probably going to have to move pretty soon. We're in our new soon to be roastery. They're coming in hot. You're good. You can come in. You can just listen in. <laughs> Free show, dog. Free show. Free show. We're on live on the air with two guys. <laughs> Here's two more guys. Uh, where were we, though? We got distracted there. How can we teach every member on the team to think like an owner? That's an ongoing process. I don't think every person on the team is going to be able to think quote unquote like an owner unless you really you you can help but you have to we have to really give a lot of ideas we have to give a lot of examples of what it might look like and maybe paint pictures like for me growing up it was hard this this is this will be my experience like starting starting verve right i was there was employee number one. I had never had any pure autonomy, nor had I had the ability to make decisions that would make a difference, I thought, right? And the way I was brought into all my workplaces was, unless it falls in this kind of specific walled off area, you do not delve into making decisions without being told it was okay. And so 
there came a time when we did open the company where they're like, well, just do it. And I'm like, well, I've never done it yet. And what I know is fairly limited. So I'm like, not necessarily comfortable one going too far because I'm, it's, it's not mine, which is, is something, like I said, we can start off in the beginning and start painting pictures and giving examples. But the other part was, you know, um, what happens if I do the wrong thing? That's kind of too easy to address. We can get there pretty quickly. Then there's the last one though, was like, I actually just don't know for sure what to do because this is my first serious job and I've never worked more than 25 hours in my life. And, um, the things that I know are very limited because I haven't been taught any of these skill sets yet, nor have I been taught how to, how to problem solve certain things. And, and so maybe uh, what I, what I never heard specifically is like, Hey, go take a crack at it. It was always in the aftermath of like, you know, you could just do something like whatever it is. And I'm like, well, I didn't know what to do, but okay. Like, great. I will create a coffee blend for this company and I've never made one before, you know, like, and I don't even know what I'm looking for to taste. That was one thing that came to mind. I was like, let's just create a blend. Well, I barely can taste coffee right now, but I'm wait, trying. Wait, wait, let's go deep into this for a second. Yeah. So, okay. So you guys, so I think this story's funny. Well, I don't know the whole story, but I just want to, I mean, it was like, it was like I just want to backtrack a little bit. An ongoing so, story. For everybody who doesn't know, Jared worked at a coffee shop called the Naked Lounge Woo. in Chico. And then one of the founders of Verve bought that coffee shop yeah. and then decided to open Verve yeah. and basically inherited you as an employee. Correct. And was like, Brought cool, we're going to go to Santa Cruz. So you want to go? And you're like, yeah. So now you're in this new city, new place, new company. There's <laughs> nobody there except for you, the two owners, and this other guy, Sean, who yep. was also inherited from as an employee. 5 a.m. to from, 9 p.m. every from the day. Other coffee or shop. 10 p.m. So then, okay, so you guys have to make a blend. So how, <laughs> how does that work? Like, how did that start? Like, <laughs> Dude, it's kind of amazing because the thing is, is like Sean, so Sean, Sean ended up coming up with the original, you know, street level, five beans, the face melter. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. It was wild how we had, we had... I think Ryan was the only one who really understood what flavors generally would have come from the, the coffees that were roasted. So I think we had like eight coffees on the shelf, maybe, maybe nine. And it was like, let's come up with our blend. And we just start f firing off these random ass, like percentages of three to seven bean blends. So this is all four of you kind of doing this in like, but like all like community? individually, it was like, it, there was no plan for it. There was just like, and probably, probably Colby a little bit less just cause like he, he was in, but he was still like getting his feet wet in the actual barista thing at the time. And the coffee thing, he was getting more into like the green side and kind of, that's where he wanted to go. Right. But like, well, Ryan, I love history stuff. So yeah. Ryan loved roasting. Ryan had worked at Pete's. Yep. Ryan had had, prior experience roasting at like Pacific Bay exactly and Colby although he bought a coffee shop didn't really know anything about coffee in that he'd never been a barista mm -hmm. or never been in the industry in that like, no he's just really smart so he went, he went to he went to work and figured and learned everything he right. could via the internet and books and like that's that's like one of his gifts is like he will teach himself whatever mm -hmm. but yeah he hands-on wise pretty much almost never became a barista 
And and again, this is the f- literally, you know, the first week yes. that you guys are building this company. So now he's in a completely different place. He obviously knows a lot, but at then, oh, yeah, at that point, he's now. just still new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a genius then, but now he's like a coffee genius and he knows his shit. So yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, we're in there and that's a thing. So I'm like, uh, that's what I know. So they're like, we got to come up with a blend. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, like, I'm a go-getter. I can help. 15% El Sal, 15% like Ethiopia, 30% Sumatra, duh, 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 like throwing these things in. We don't have recipes. We don't have like the, like we got nothing. And back in the day, you didn't really have much to go on as well. We weren't rolling, people weren't rolling scales. No, we didn't use so scales. So this at all. was no like, you don't know your input. You don't generally know your output. You know that espresso comes out between 18 and 30 seconds. Uh, and I think it was still at 28 seconds technically, but we ended up pushing that limit at Verve um, and changing, helping actually change the way that they did it in competition. So that was a thing. However, I mean, that was what happened. So you're like throwing in these coffees without actually, and I'm, I think about it, it's funny now. It's like we never went through and like as a group of four of us, like cupped them all side by side and talked about what they tasted like and then talked about how to compile a blend. We just kind of like, Went. And I know this is a this is more about being overwhelmed as two owners who are trying to do everything and then adding two dudes to the list. So like but at the same time, there's so much opportunity to save and like to calibrate and be like, this is what we want it to taste like. So yeah, that was an experience for me. I was <laughs> just I would be throwing together five, six, eight blends, like sample roasting in our little sample roaster on the SF and just trying to come up with this stuff and my roast would be too light, but I wouldn't know like it was cray dude it was wild omg have you ever wanted to roast coffee but you didn't know what to roast on i can tell you one thing you could and should check out is that san franciscan roaster we have one we have another on the way and i can tell you what 100 percent makes the coffee hot brown delicious you got opportunities to play with the airflows the damper the speed all the things that you need to make that coffee taste the way you'd like it to taste. And guess what? They're made in America. That's right. Close to us in California, just over the old state line in old Nevada. Carson's not the city. Is it the city? Nobody cares. Still in America. Here's the deal. They've been amazing. I love working on their machines. And here we are six years later and we're getting a second one. Why would you buy a second one if you didn't like the first? Tell me more about why you want to get a different roaster. I'll tell you, it's a waste of your time. Get the San Franciscan. And guess what? They'll answer the phone. They'll send you roasters. They'll build you roasters. They'll make it custom. We made it custom. It's really fun. Do you want to express yourself not only through coffee, but the feeling of the roaster within your space? Freaking do it with San Franciscan. So in that experience, how does that play out in terms of, okay, um, I feel empowered to take ownership. I feel disempowered to take ownership. I I felt like, well, here's the thing, like the street level that ended up being the face melter street level, which everybody 24 grams of coffee into a basket, uh, 19 grams out and a 42 second pull without barely like no wiggle room. You had to pull them exactly like that every time ending up tasting good came out of coffee that was less than a day old and, and us being like ripped on trying coffee all day and like laughing our asses off 
and being like, just let it ride. And, like, <laughs> like, and the reason we know it's 24 grams was way later. Like after we got open for a little bit, scales got introduced. Well, everything was in ounces back then. Yeah. And you would rarely measure it for real. So yeah. what would happen? Well, this is what led to scales. Yeah. Which is basically, okay, cool. You would get those graduated shot glasses uh-huh. where it's like quarter of an ounce, half ounce, one ounce. Yep. And you would sometimes pull into there and then we for, did. for sort of a calibration. Yep. But mostly you would just take what you learned from that and pull into the shot, in, into the demi that you were going to be serving in. Yeah. So you're just kind of ballparking it. You're yep. like, that's about an ounce and a half. Yep. Or that's about... And you got one, pretty good. Well, that's about, got you got really pretty good. good. And then you realize all of the um, graduated cylinders were completely those weren't <laughs> calibrated at all you know what i mean yeah. like half ounce in one was like three quarter ounce in another because the lines weren't perfect it's just a it was just a mess and you would sometimes weigh your dose yeah like sometimes. maybe once a day yeah on a scale that only had one gram resolution and, and then not you find of a gram and you totally and so then i remember you go like okay 24 grams is like it looks like this in an 18 gram basket. 24 grams means basically if you're not seeing the screw head from the freaking dispersion like screen, you didn't put enough coffee in. And that's just that. Uh, that was funny um, stuff. So, I mean, to answer your question, here's what it was the thing, right? You come up with that, ends up tasting good. And it did actually taste good. Like people would come and be like, wow, I can't believe this tastes good. Um, I think people have experienced something similar, like a place called Bear Pond over in Japan, right? Really small, just like these drips, this syrupy, like quote unquote perfect. And it tasted great. And the, and the blend worked while we had those coffees. But to your point, the empowerment wasn't backed with any reason. There was no like, these coffees worked. It, was like, it felt like a, a, a miracle. Like, yes, we found one. And then we'd go <laughs> and we'd be making it. And every time people who were important in the coffee industry came in, I would be pulling them quote unquote perfect as best as I could. And they actually were. And it'd be like, that one's not good enough. And be like, we're not even tasting these. Throw it away, throw it away. And there'd be like 16 of them. So I'm like, you know, you don't have this, ba- you don't have a balance of like, I'm empowered to pull the coffee how we know how to pull it, nor do we actually know what we set out to do. We just kind of felt lucky. Um, and it ends up, by the way, going dramatically more intentional from there. But that's how it started. So, you know, you put yourself in somebody's shoes and it's like, great, we did it. I know what to do. And then you're trying to make these coffees and you're like, that one's perfect. And it's like, no, it's not. I'm like, okay. And then like 16 shots go by and it's like, I don't know what to tell you. Dude. So this there's is, a sense- This is Matt Williams who like roasted it four barrel and like he's here just to get a coffee, but we're making it feel like <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Sense of ownership in terms of being able to create the thing. But then when it comes to the day to day, I don't even want to say a lack of trust because I know Colby and Ryan and they're both you know, neurotic in the similar way that I'm, I'm neurotic. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it like can be the, fun. Yeah. Like I think we have a lot in common where mm-hmm. there's this, um, you want things to be a certain way. Yeah. And when you're new and you're there all the time and you're serving people that are quote unquote important, you, yeah. you want to show your best. So, but it's, and I totally get that. But so the, a way that that probably could have gone better was just like, realize and you have to disconnect from it at the time you know what i mean in the same way that i've had to go through the process of disconnecting it from myself as a business owner where Mm -hmm. it's like well jared wants the same thing that you want actually you know jared wants to serve the best coffee as much of the time as possible like if anybody wants that that's something that you want Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things again it goes back to that culture and is really understanding who you have on your team and 
this guy's been a barista for a while. He wants to serve good coffee. Uh, maybe just let it ride. Yeah, I think, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for just like plain, plain, straightforward communication before and after as well, yeah. right? Because I mean, then you can kind of calibrate. Like, what are we trying to do here? You know, because at the time, we're trying to make the best coffee we can for Santa Cruz in the world, and I was like, well, I believe I can be one of those people for sure. And we want this place to be really clean, like Stockflats, which is a, a cafe. And, um, and we're, we're kind of di digressing into a side project here. But anyways. Um, <laughs> Oslo. But they're in Oslo. They're in Oslo. It's in like really cool vibes, especially at the time, like Danish modern. And, and you have that. And then you have like, I guess what was hard for me is that I needed, which I probably wouldn't need as much now, but I needed a form of like consistency and direction, right? So you had this like, yeah, we're doing it and we're making up this stuff and we're making the drinks taste as best they can. And so I would, I would calibrate by taste basically alone, right? I wouldn't calibrate by anything else. And then this is definitely my youngness. We introduced shot glasses for syrups and started weighing them. And I remember I would be able to basically for the most part, like hit the amount of syrup that made the drink taste the best, but it wasn't, and by weight, sorry, I mean uh, the ounce glasses again, right? A certain amount in the ounce glass. And then all of a sudden we had to like measure in one glass, but not measure anything else. And that was confusing to me. So I didn't adopt that early on and I fully should have, this was me totally being an egocentric young person, but I would be like, I'd make my drink and then I'd taste it next to the recipe. Ooh. And, and I'd be like, my drink is tasting really, really good. I have a great story about how that goes so wrong. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't the right thing, but I remember fighting that for a long time. And you know why, though? The original, this is, this is where the conversations and communication could have worked. Bef right before we went there, I was doing the same thing. And I would make our, our whipped creams and things. We had these recipes. But I had done them so many times that I could eyeball them, like, legit perfect. And so they, they tested me, and they're like, they're like, you got to use the stuff. And I was like, I, I got it. Like, I'm going to do it perfect every time. And they're like, we're going to test you three times. And if you get it right, then it's okay. And I got it right all three times, like perfectly to the ounce when they tested it. And they're like, okay, you don't have to. And so I was working for the guy who said, okay, you didn't have to, while also working for the guy who said you had to. And, and that's my, my ego for sure. But that's where that, that came from. And I remember being like, yeah. So anyway, there was, there was some point stupid, in, in time. It, I don't know. It was probably early-ish on when I started working at Verve after I came over from Ritual and no, it was okay. So when Jenny came back into town and we were at 41st mostly and she'd yeah. go into 41st and she would get cappuccinos. That was what she would get cappuccino to go. And I'd make her cappuccinos and I'd try really hard and she would, she would drink them. And she's like, ah, it's pretty good, but, but Jared's are better. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so I'm just like stressing. I'm like, I'm trying to make my lady <laughs> the best cappuccino. I'm trying to make her the cappuccino that she loves the most. And she likes my dude's cappuccinos better. What's going on? And that, that lasted for a while. And then I was, I, I don't know if I was at Reg or something. I was, I was watching you were making drinks and she came in and I was just like, eyeballing What's it. What's he doing? And it was busy at the time. Like we were starting to get a lot busier than we'd ever been. And I, you were splitting shots for cappuccinos. 
Oh. So you were giving her single cappuccinos, and I was giving her the standard double cappuccinos, and I was like, no wonder it tastes better. It's just more sweet, creamy milk with less coffee in it. <laughs> and at that point, I was so relieved. I was like, oh, thank God. There's but also, a, this is bullshit, There's an dude. actual reason for this. It's not just me being a terrible, lamer barista, but... And then I was like, oh, so like that's the opposite case. That's where, you know, that's you taking ownership, being like, this is the right way to do it. But the it's best tasting for this individual. But, but it's yeah. not. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't set everyone else up. Because yeah, it's if not you're translatable. The, if, right. If you're the only person that's doing that, then like, oh, yeah, she loves Jared's cappuccinos. But every other person in the store makes her a less good cappuccino. Yep. You know, so that's where kind of like the shot glass things like we need to have a culture where everyone's adopting the same best practices so that you know the guest gets a repeatable consistent product yeah and yeah of course you, you do whatever when you're you know in your 20s dude and <laughs> you don't have that when you don't have that structure and you're young and you're like i know the fucking best way to do this it's you know it's it's a mix so it, it's kind of the to go back to the question, how do you teach every member on the team to think like an owner? You need those foundations that will hit all the time. Mm -hmm. Mission, vision, values. You got to have this clear cut idea of what you're doing here. And then there's different levels of ownership that you want people to take at different levels of their journey through, through work. You know, I mean, you don't want a new barista or a new employee making decisions on fundamentally changing the recipe of an espresso no. or deciding to up the syrup here or like do this differently or this is actually the better milk temperature you don't want that but mm -hmm. what you do want to do is set up that you know power to please again broken record on our end but if, if something goes wrong you can make it right yeah. without checking in with a manager you know someone's order gets messed up Give them their money back. They don't need to ask, you know. Uh, give them a free drink card. Whatever you have that's within reason to make it right, like, set that up. And that's something that's harder to do than it seems like because you can tell people to do it and they still won't do it because they've been trained not to. Yeah. Because every time they do something like that at most of the other jobs they've had, they get in trouble. And mm -hmm. people really don't want to get in trouble. So yeah. the best thing that can happen is somebody does that they invoke the power to please you see it and let them know hey you gave away a free drink and a bag of coffee because their whole order got botched that was awesome that was the perfect way to do it. then they're going to feel safe or see him not do it and say like hey it's totally okay to just you don't need to ask me you don't mm -hmm. need to like you know no one wants to be stranded at the register whilst the person helping them's like i don't know um let me go call my manager so you kind of got to go through the shit even if you tell someone because yeah people are you know i don't want to say traumatized but they're used to getting slapped down at work it's not uncommon no i mean and for everybody out there who who maybe is a business owner and thinks that you're giving away product and might feel like you need to you know have that defensive posture of like we can't waste money we can't spend it here we can't this that the other there's far far more opportunity in the long haul in taking care of your guests and you know, potentially giving away a couple things in order to give an amazing experience. That experience is going to translate to them telling their friends about it, coming back. I can tell you if it happens to me, I'm telling people for sure. I'm telling my whole team about it. 
and my friends and whoever's with me, but like I'm remi- I'm even letting them know if they don't notice that it's special, you know. It's even if you don't tell anybody. Did we talk about this last time? Lifetime value of a customer? Well, no, or I mean, yes, it's exactly as we would that. call it, but yeah. it's like if you, you know, let's take away the things that will absolutely happen. Someone's going to tell someone and they're going to tell someone else and they're going to tell Let's say it's just you. Right. You go into a place, you have a terrible experience, they fix it, make it right. Let's yeah. say they give you $15 worth of free stuff to make it right. You leave stoked. You come back, if it's a coffee shop, five days a week, right. every day for the next three years. How much money are you spending? Right. Hundreds, thousands of dollars. It's like, so you're not really losing money. You're actually building trust. Yeah. And you've got a guest who's psyched on what you do. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be really good for us all to not worry so much about splitting the hairs and just again go back to like looking through a guest size and and you know i guess maybe we kind of talked about it in terms of energy transfer and like transactional you know work but if you look at that this whole opportunity is do i want to bring more people through the doors to to make the work that i do successful and to like feel the most value in it when you do that everything levels up you're not you're not you know like there's enough resources for everyone and they're going the people are going to use those resources somewhere if you can make it worthwhile for people to use their resources of money and time at your cafe or your establishment then you've done a great job and you have to have you have there's intention behind that there's there's paying attention to <laughs> what's going on and deciding to make a call you, like if you do have the power to please you just have to step right back and be like okay that didn't work out what can i do and it doesn't have to be super intense a lot of times it could literally be talking to them making them another drink right it could be uh, there were some kids in portola they spilled their milk drink so i was like hey somebody spilled and instead of making the mom clean it up you come clean it up real quick and then you hit another steamer on the bar and it's like that's that it's simple as that like you just made their day a little bit better and you make sure that the mom doesn't feel weird and that they have to clean up or the dad, whoever's with them, but like they don't have to clean up for you in your cafe. And it's not a burden that like a child does what a child does and spills a thing like that also counts. Everyone, this is not, you know, it's not like some perfect math problem. It's just be of service and, and help, 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 please help, please. And in order to do that, I think you do have to start from the beginning and have a bit of a culture um, where you can where you can talk about that. But also ask of that. It's not to your point. Like not everybody does it, and it needs to be more of an expectation, I think, than it needs to be like a suggestion of what you could do. You know, because I don't I don't like the idea of teams feeling like they don't have to do it, uh, because then you kind of potentially can build this like, well, I just, you know, like, why didn't you do it? Well, I, just, I didn't, I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't think about it, you know? And that's something I, I want to work towards as well. It's like, this yeah. is what we do here. This, this is what we do. This is what we do here. That's how culture works. Like, yeah. this is what we do. This and, is what we do. And if you have a what group of people, if you've been a but part of a group of people, you know, you, you, Charles, were just talking about playing basketball. Right. And sure, teams have a captain, but when you're on the court, <laughs> everyone is responsible for doing their best for the team's well-being. And if you don't step up and play your part, you're going to hear about it from four other people. Right. And you would be one of those four other people giving it to someone who also wasn't pulling their weight because it's a voluntary thing. You guys are enrolled. Nobody has to be there. 
everyone's there because they want to be there. I yeah. want, I choose to participate in this basketball team because it brings me joy. I get to have fun with people I like and it's hard as fuck and I'm tired as hell afterwards yeah. and I'm physically and mentally strained and it's totally worth it. And that doesn't only have to exist in sports. Like that can exist in work too. And just Absolutely. like, it's like everyone's pulling equal weight. So if something happens on the floor, it's not like you need a manager. If the culture is healthy, everyone is holding everybody else accountable. Right. It's not just 12 people who work in a cafe account of like reporting to the quote unquote manager. It's, everybody understanding the culture and everybody upholding that culture mm -hmm. and that's not easy to do because first to be able to reinforce it they have to understand it you know yeah. and you have to bring them into that situation but that's the ideal you know you can't really rule effectively if you want to call it ruling with authority you know so many businesses use authority as their as their kind of like their hammer that that the tool that fixes everything it's like mm -hmm. because i told you to because yeah because 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 this is what we do and they're ignoring that whole enrollment part of it where it's like no there's something in it for you i mean you there's know, so much want to be here that i think that's like allowing allowing for your leaders but even your team to understand the perspectives and the wise <clears throat> but but even deeper, like, like last night, for instance, the, in this, the game we were talking about basketball, but like the first game, I, I was psyched and I, you know, I, I had a good game. I scored 25 points. I was like, yeah, I'm freaking ripping and it's great. And I was having a hard, I was frustrated last night because I had less points. I was like, oh, I had 17 points. I wasn't shooting as well, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But there's like a whole lot more to the game. And my girlfriend, Casey, knows sports. So she was in watching me and she's like, She's all, yeah, but babe, like you also have to recognize like your whole team is saying the stuff to you. They're saying, hey, you're also the one defending the best player. And hey, they saw you last, last week. So they had all their best defenders on you and you were able to like get these other people open and you were playing defense and facilitating all these things. And I would just say like as an individual myself, but people out there, you might, you might pigeonhole yourself into thinking about success in too small of a perspective, right? Like my perspective was, well, score 25, can I score like something like that again? You're gonna put up 25. But on a team, in a cafe, anywhere, like everybody's gonna have their good days in there. And I didn't even have a bad day. They're just gonna have different days. And they're going to contribute as well. If you have a good culture, you're going to contribute as a team. Everybody's going to give something to that team, whether you're the least, um, experienced or the most experienced, or even sometimes quote unquote, the most talented, like your gifts are going to come out in a different way in a different day. And that's something I think that's pretty important. If you have a healthy culture, everybody sees the perspective of the bigger picture, right? You're looking through the guest size and you're looking at your hospitality experience, <clears throat> your coffee quality, you know, and some of those metrics whatever your metrics will be at your cafes or restaurants or businesses are yours to make <clears throat> but when everybody understands what those are and what winning looks like you can have somebody like my girlfriend be like hey you guys won and you won because you shut down their best shooter on point on like in moments where it mattered and that's the same thing in the cafe hey we won the day today because 
while so-and-so was over there slaying bar and getting all the credit for the coffee, you were actually not wasting time. You were doing the dishes. You were getting set up with all the stuff for turnover. And you made sure that we were out of here exactly on time, if not early, because you didn't waste the day. And same with the person on concierge. You are over there. You're, you're not spending five minutes per guest chatting it up when there's nine people behind them. You are connecting, you're moving them along, and you're allowing for the whole place to feel special. And to me, that's like, that's the magic that I want to everybody to feel in our company and the work, you know, it's kind of laid before our feet again, coming out of the pandemic and painting these pictures that, you know, half, if not 75% of our staff team never saw those core groups rocking with you and I exactly out of the gate, how this is supposed to look, you know, and that's, those perspectives are so powerful. I don't know. I got, I got on the tangent, but you're on a tangent. That's okay. It was that. Well, I think that's how you feel empowered. I think, you know, like when you know those things, you feel empowered from everywhere and you don't feel empowered to, <clears throat> you don't feel boxed in and empowered. And I think that's why I like that. I never liked feeling like my work was, I feel empowered when my work is more than just make the recipe, make the coffee fast. And I think that's why there's value in what I'm talking about is stepping beyond that and being like, actually, you know, that's part of what I'm doing today, but I'm also in a part of this whole other thing, this circle of love. Yeah. And that back. to me is, I think, where you can feel actually empowered and feel like your work is valuable every single day. Right. And then, then we're back to where we started, which is understanding the contribution that you're making. Right. Which is perfect. It's a, it's a great way to end this one. That is a great way to end this one. Hey everyone, that's the podcast for the week. Thanks so much for listening. If you heard something that inspired you, let us know or tell a friend. These are the types of connections that are the most important to us and that we seek to create every day. If there's something you heard and you want to know more about, send us an email to podcast at catandcloud.com or head to our website, catandcloud.com slash podcast and let us know. While you're on our site, check out everything we have to offer. Dive deep into one of our single origin coffees or pick up a little treat for yourself. We have something for everyone, so check it out. Also, find us in the usual places, YouTube, Instagram. We're always there sharing amazing things. All right, that's it. Thanks everyone for being awesome. We'll be back next week.